Nyata. Hello. It's Alison here from a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary. So, it's Advent, a paradoxical time slip in which we look forward to the coming of the one who was born and lived and died and was raised and lives among us now. It's a time of anticipating more than ever God's kingdom come. It's a time of hopeful expectation of a world turned right side up, a world where love and justice reign and vulnerable people are raised up and the arrogant are cast down. And so it's also a time of pain because we look around and we see all that is wrong with the world. We see hypocrisy and abuse of power. We see the oppression of vulnerable people. We see a rise in hostile conservatism We see complete capitulation to the capitalist project. We see utter contempt for the living world. In the face of all this, change can feel impossible, and Advent can feel like nothing more than an exercise in futility. Can we really hope in God's future? Or is this hope just an escape from the harsh realities of the world all around us? Long ago, the people of God were asking similar questions. Their religious and political leadership had failed. The kings had worked in their own interests, exploiting women and labour, and so the monarchy had come to an end. And the priests, well, they had prioritised scriptures which elevated their own power, and yet excluded the most vulnerable. And for all of their burnt offerings, they failed to engage in the most basic form of worship, and that is care for the poor. According to the prophets, these failures of leadership had devastating consequences. Invasion, colonisation, puppet kings in the pockets of empire, land degradation, drought, and finally exile. Betrayed by their leaders, shattered by their collective trauma and exiled from their homeland, God's people wondered whether God had forgotten them. It's to such people that Jeremiah offers a word of hope. The days are surely coming, says God, when I will fulfill the good word that I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, and he will do what is just and right in the land. In those days Judah will be rescued, and Jerusalem will live in safety, and the city will become to be known as God is our justice. The image of a righteous branch also appears in Isaiah. In chapter 11, Isaiah describes a shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse, and that is David's father. And from these roots, a new branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of God will rest upon him. He will work justice for the poor and the needy. He will destroy wickedness with true words and spirit breath. He will gather up all peoples, and he will bring about a culture of non-violence and peace. Indeed, when the righteous branch is in charge... The wolf shall live with the lamb. These prophecies suggest that even though the monarchy has become corrupt and been cut down, God will send a new king from David's family line. And this king will make justice and righteousness flourish in the land. And more, when the king does what is right and just, both land and city will be restored and healed. Indeed, the city will be known as God is our justice. Much later, as people tried to understand who Jesus was and is, 
they went back to these images. In the Gospels, Jesus' genealogy is traced back to Jesse, establishing him as a member of Jesse's family tree, the new and fruitful branch. In the letter to the Romans, Paul claims that Jesus is indeed the fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy. He writes that Jesus the Messiah, or the Christ, has sprung from the root of Jesse and gathered up the Gentiles, and they can place their hope in him. What's interesting in these texts is how the references keep shifting. When Jeremiah talks of the righteous branch, he refers first to the new king, and then to Jerusalem. So on the one hand, there's a promise of a new king, an individual born from the line of David. And on the other, there's a promise that the whole city will embody righteousness and justice. Similarly, in Isaiah 11, first an individual and then all peoples will embody non-violence, protection of the poor and full knowledge of God. Again and again in the prophets, there's this ambiguity. Is the Messiah an individual or is it a whole city? Is it one person or a nation who will bless and heal the world? We see this pattern continue into the New Testament. First, Jesus is identified as the Messiah, that is Christ. But then the church is described as the body of Christ, commissioned to bless and heal the world. In other words, the Messianic language keeps sliding between Jesus and his people. And that is why we here at Sanctuary often end our time of prayer with the phrase, grant us the courage and compassion to offer our lives as answers to these prayers. As members of Christ's body, we are called to continue his work of healing people, seeking justice, meeting evil with true words and spirit breath, and filling the world with peace. So we ask God for the courage and compassion to do this work. Therefore, in the face of ungodly leadership and institutional failure, we are not called to hopelessness and despair, nor are we called to deny reality. Instead, as a people grafted into the righteous branch, we must live out our calling as a body of Christ. When much of the institutional church looks like a rotting stump and federal leadership is no better, we must be a sign of justice and righteousness in the land. We must witness to healing and reconciliation, non-violence and peace. This doesn't mean power or trumpets or glory. It doesn't mean domination or even success. Instead, the messianic call is to vulnerability and tenderness, to be a new green shoot. As such, it's small and insignificant, easily broken off, easily burned. It's just a beginning, growing out of the decay of the old. It's quiet, but it speaks volumes, because it reveals just how God works how in the face of compromised and corrupt leadership, in the face of human failures and human violence, in the face of disaster, despair, even death, God will always work something new. This is the hope that was born in a manger in Bethlehem. This is the hope that was born again from the tomb in the garden. And this is the hope for which we pray and for which we offer ourselves that we might be a new branch, a tender shoot, that we might embody God's fragile, irrepressible, impossibly resilient life in a troubled and hurting world. For this we pray.
Amen. This week I borrowed heavily from a sermon by my friend and colleague Nathan Nettleton, entitled The New Branch, and you can find it at southyarrabaptist.church. There's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.org. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters, and if you'd like to support the work of this little church, you can make a donation via PayPal, and you can find the details for this on our website. This recording was made on the lands of the Eastern Ma Nation. Right now, purple dianella is beginning to bloom. Poas are weighed down by heavy seed stems. Termites are taking to the air, and there are snake tracks near the swamp. The peace of the land be with us all. Amen. <laughs>